Tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Barzell with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian. And I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, everybody, welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Plenty to talk about right now as the NHL Board of Governors met yesterday and They're trying to give fans a a general idea of what may be happening in the future, and we'll certainly talk a little bit about that and how things are likely to play out. And there's still more that we don't know than what we do, but we will share the latest information with you and get you up to date on that. We'll also have this date in Islanders history featuring a shutout by Evgeny Nabokov, and we have part two of my Discussion with Gary Harding of WGBB Radio, Long Island, uh, talking about the state of the Islanders right now, where this team is headed, and and some of the moves they may need to make to improve this team over the course of the offseason. Don't forget, uh, if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, a question for me, or uh, something that's on your mind, please feel free to email the show. The email address, as always, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. And you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter or contact us via Twitter. The show's address on Twitter at LockedOnIsles. And my Twitter handle is at IceWarsNYRVSNYI. And uh, we'll keep you up to date on those Twitter handles as far as everything that's happening to and about the Islanders and the NHL, and uh, also we'll keep you up to date on what's going on with this show. New episodes come up, we're going to tweet that out, and you can certainly keep track of everything that's happening there. As far as the uh, NHL Board of Governors was concerned, they met yesterday on Monday, and what the league basically announced is that they are hoping uh, that they can resume training for teams at the end of the 60-day period that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, recommended. Now, that recommendation was made back on March 15th, eight days ago. But realistically, what that means is that the earliest the league is considering opening training camps for the teams around the league would be around mid-May. And, you know, the CDC basically said no gatherings of 50 people or more on March 15th. If you're looking at 60 days, you're looking at 
May 15th, give or take. And then you got to figure they would need at least a couple of weeks uh, of a abbreviated training camp kind of a situation in order to get the players ready to play games again. And then, you know, the league would then have to make a decision as far as, A, whether they resume the regular season, whether they start with the playoffs, and if they do, what format would the playoffs take? And then the obvious next question after that is, uh, if there are games that are going to be played, will fans be allowed to attend it may be more prudent for the National Hockey League, at least initially, to have games that are just televised, but not necessarily, you know, it it is still, even if we are successful at slowing the spread of this virus by using social distancing and people staying home from non-essential work and all of that, Gathering groups of 15 to 20,000 people together in an enclosed arena to watch a sporting event is still probably not going to be wise or advisable in mid to late May. Now, again, there's a lot of time and distance in between that, but at the end of the day, if the league resumes, let's say, around Memorial Day, and that's really the earliest they're looking at, I would venture to say that the initial games especially would probably, not definitely, but probably the league would be better off playing them in empty arenas and not risking a large gathering of 17,000, 18,000 fans getting together. The NHL's statement also indicated the form and format of resumption of play scenarios will depend entirely on what happens between now and when we are permitted and able to resume, and ultimately on timing and taking into account logistical constraints. We are going to have to be flexible and react to events as they unfold as well as the best medical advice available. That is a statement from the NHL and their press release. But here is the underlying message that, again, the NHL repeated today. And that is, no matter what, they don't want to do anything that is going to risk the start of next season and have next season be truncated, delayed, or what have you. So the statement continues. We do not anticipate a scenario in our resumption of play format that would endanger or interfere with the league's ability to stage and execute the 2020-2021 NHL season in its entirety. And, you know, the other thing that the league has to take into consideration, and it hasn't commented yet, but when and where and how do you hold the scouting combine, the NHL draft, you know, those things right now are scheduled for June. They, you know, we don't know whether they'll be pushed back, whether they'll be held during the, you know, playoffs or a resumption of the regular season, whether or not. Uh, Again, live fans will be allowed to attend it or whether, like the NFL, 
they'll just, you know, have the draft, whether it's on a conference call or in a studio, and only necessary personnel will be there and they'll televise it and bring it to fans that way. So still a lot of things we don't know right now. Obviously, a lot of these decisions have to be made uh, with the cooperation of and the approval of the NHL Players Association. But what the league is trying to say right now is we have to see where things go. We're keeping our options open. We're going to look out for the safety of our fans and our players, and we're going to keep you posted. But what seems to be most important right now is that the league wants to make sure that this season does not affect the start timely and complete of the upcoming season. This season's already been, you know, truncated, compromised, disrupted, however you want to look at it, but they want to make sure everything is okay moving forward. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll come back. We have this date in Islanders history, and we have uh, part two of my discussion with WGBB Radio's Gary Harding as we talk about the Islanders, what they need to do, some of the differences between the early season and late season, and a lot more. So plenty more to come right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, don't forget, if uh, you're enjoying the show, first of all, please Tell friends or family members and spread the word to help us grow the Locked On Islanders family. And then, of course, uh, if you could leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of choice, a five-star rating and a review, that certainly helps us uh, grow the Locked On Islanders family, helps other Islander fans find us when they're searching for Islanders-related and hockey-related podcasts, and it's always appreciated. So, again, don't forget to do that. All right, this date in Islanders history, we're going to look at a goaltending duel. We take you back to March 24th, 2013. 14,512 fans in attendance at the Nassau Coliseum. Islanders and Florida Panthers facing off. Jacob Markstrom is the starting goaltender for the Panthers while the Islanders counter with Evgeny Nabokov. And at this point, a tight game between these two clubs. Now, Philip Kuba of Florida called for tripping at 419, and the Islanders do take advantage. Defenseman Andrew McDonald tallies his second goal of the season. It is a power play goal. Franz Nielsen and Kyle Oposo with the helpers at 6.05, and the Islanders held a one to nothing lead. Islanders had another power play opportunity later on in the first period. Tyler Strachan called for roughing at 7.24, but the Islanders were unable to cash in, and both goaltenders, both Markstrom and Nabokov, playing very solid hockey in this game. In the second period, it was Florida getting their lone power play opportunity of the contest. Matt Karkner of the Islanders called for interference 36 seconds into the second stanza, but the Islanders successfully kill off the power play, and after 40 minutes, it's still a one to nothing Islanders lead. In the third period, the Panthers get actually one more power play chance. Andrew McDonald, the goal scorer so far, 
goes off for holding at 341. But again, the Islanders come up big, kill off the power play, and it remains a one to nothing game. In the final minute of play, the Panthers pull their goalie, Markstrom, heads to the bench with about 47 seconds left on the clock, and the Islanders are able to take advantage. Captain John Tavares, an empty net goal at 19:29. That was his 19th of the year from Brad Boys and Matt Molson. So the top line out for the Islanders. That made it two nothing in favor of the home team. And then at 19:47, Casey Sezikis adds another empty net goal for Zeke, his fifth of the season. Matt Martin gets the lone assist on that one, and the Islanders managed to skate away with a 3-0 victory over the Florida Panthers. Jacob Markstrom of Florida uh, makes 34 saves and out of 35 shots that he faced in a losing effort. The Islanders get 37 shots on goal. Meanwhile, Evgeny Nabokov makes 26 saves in this game in order to earn the shutout in this one. No Islander in this contest had multiple point games, and no Islander was more than a plus one, as the scoring situation was very much spread out. As far as shots on goal were concerned, Colin McDonald and Matt Martin leading the way. Each of them had four shots on goal for the Islanders, but at the end of the day, the Islanders skate away with an impressive 3 nothing game uh, victory over the Florida Panthers in a goaltender's duel. The Islanders improved their record at that point to 14-15-3, and three while the Panthers dropped to 9-18-6. All of this taking place on this date in Islanders history. Islanders 3, Panthers nothing, March 24th, 2013. All right, when we return, we will have part two of my conversation with WGBB's Gary Harding as we talk about things the Islanders need to do to improve during the offseason and analyze the play of some of the Islanders' younger players as they try to step in and assume important roles on this team over the course of this season, both looking back and, of course, looking forward. Lots more to come right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Islanders podcast. Time for part two of my discussion with Gary Harding of WGBB Radio as we discuss some of the young Islanders and where they're fitting into this team, what they need to do to take that next step in the future, and a lot of other things regarding the 2019-2020 New York Islanders. So join us right now for part two of that conversation. We have talked on this show in the past about what the absence of Adam Pellick has meant to the New York Islanders and their record with him and without him. Obviously, you know, Noah Dobson gets a lot more ice time with Pellick out of the lineup. And then, you know, when uh, when we get subsequent injuries after that to other defensemen, uh, again, Dobson has to step in when Boychuk goes down, for example. Talk a little bit about Noah Dobson, where he is and where you think he'll be in a year or two. 
I I like the way that they're bringing Noah up. Um, we all know, you know, watching the game as much as we have, that um, defensemen don't necessarily, you know, get to that, you know, elite level fast enough. Um, you know, some guys, it takes a year. Some guys, it may take three or four years to get there. You know, I, I think, you know, Barry really wanted uh, Noah to understand the game and watch the game a little bit, and he's moved him slowly. But, of course, you know, with injuries and everything else that's gone on, he's had to, you know, bring him up a little faster probably than he wanted to. But I like the way he's progressed. You know, he's learning He's learning the game firsthand. He's learning how to, you know, in some cases, you know, be a little more physical, take a chance, you know, uh, when and when not to pinch. Um, you can see he's got good skills. He's got good puck handling skills. He's got the, what, you know, they say the hockey IQ. Um, you know, it was it was evident when you watched him in junior hockey that he wasn't going to do any more than, uh, you know, he could do at that level. So, you know, bringing him up here was the smartest move. I mean, you know, depending on what the roster is, could you see Noah Dobson in Bridgeport next year? That's a possibility, too. Um, you know, to get a little bit of more, you know, I'm not saying him not being immature, but to be in the in a mature professional hockey environment, you know, getting him more time. You know, he's only playing probably 15 minutes a game, maybe 16. Sometimes he gets up to 20, but he's averaging a lower level. But by putting him in Bridgeport, making him on your number one, your number one D pair and putting him in every situation, giving him on average 23, 24, maybe 25 minutes a game, getting that and getting more and more into the next level of professional play could be, you know, a good possible panacea for him. He's only 20 years old. That's the good side of this equation is that he's not, you know, uh, 24, 25. He's got a lot of learning to do. And I think he's a pretty intelligent, um, smart young man. And I think uh, I think this process of uh, him blending in the way he is, uh, I think, is key to his success say, three or four years down the road. Wanted to talk about two prospects who both had cups of coffee with the Islanders so far this year, Oliver Wallstrom and then Kiefer Bellows. Your thoughts about their future and how they may fit in to help this team with their struggling offense in, in at the end of this season and certainly into next season? Yeah, I, I mean, the unfortunate part, I think um... – with with uh, Wallstrom, for example, is he had a, a lousy, a lousy year at college, and that kind of, I think that stunted him. You know, I mean, he was. We all knew that he was a very raw talent. At you know, at this stage of the game, we all know his success with the USA developmental team. Um, he got to college, and just it just didn't work out. And I think, unfortunately, that has pushed him a little further back than what people would probably want him to be. But the upside of it is, is people say that, you know, you could see the talent. You could see the, uh, you know, the shooting ability, his offensive upside. But, again, just like him and Kiefer and even into a sense, um, you know, we were talking about with Noah Dobson, they just have – they're so raw 
you know, that they've really got to learn the professional game. You know, they've, they've always been relying on one asset, you know, Wallstrom with his incredible shot. Um, you know, Kiefer Bell is the same way, offensive upside. But to play in a New York Islander system and to play in most NHL systems, they're going to have to play not just that one offensive standpoint of the game that they know so well, but they've got to play the 200-foot game. They've got to be responsible in all three zones. And they, you know, these guys in their career have not really had to worry about that, and that's what they're learning. That's what they're having to understand. And, you know, you know people may not like the fact that it may take – you know, some of these guys, two years, maybe even three years to, to develop up. But, you know, but the guys that are the, – the, the coaching, the management, everybody that's down there, they can see that, you know, given that amount of time, I really think it's going to be a positive to each one of them as they, as they hone their skills and become NHL players. As far as uh, the goal scoring situation is concerned, do you think this team needs to go out during the off season, whenever that actually does get underway, and add some significant scoring talent to the lineup? There's no question they do. Um, this team is not going to survive, um, you know, with the the point the situation that they're in right now you know, 24th or 25th in the league in offense. You know, there are guys there, obviously, that we know can put the puck in the net. Um, but, you know, there is a uh, – there seems to be a way to, to defeat this team and to um, shut this Islander team down. And, and, and they need to spread out the um, – you know, spread out the, the talent pool and, and – you know, with the amount of money that they have, um, you know, potentially in salary cap room over the next, excuse me, over the next, you know, year or so, they've got an opportunity to possibly get a, a, a number one, that potential number, another number one scoring uh, threat, you know, to add on to this team. Um, as to who it is, I, I you know that's a crystal ball that I'm not even going to attempt to try to analyze or, or figure out. But you know, you ask any Islander fan on the street right now, and they say, well, you know, the way this team is constructed right now, you know, it's you know obviously defense wins championships, you know, defense and goaltending win win Stanley Cups, but you know you can't constantly you know live on the fact that you're going to have one or two goals a game and expect to win hockey games that way. You know, you, you and I both know it's not going to, that doesn't happen in the NHL. No, not, not in this day and age, certainly. And, and yeah, I agree with you. I think this team does need to go out and, and add a, a bonafide top notch kind of goal scorer. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, the caliber of a Mike Bossy or a Ziggy Palfi, but Someone who could, I would hope, at least put 30, 30 goals into the net consistently. Yeah, no question. No, no, no question. Um, that is the, you know, obviously goal scoring in the NHL has been up uh, from past years. You know, you're seeing, you know, right now before the season ended, you got potentially three or four guys that have got a great shot, at, obviously, at getting 50 goals this season. Um, 
So, yeah, it, it's an uptick. So you, you need to be able to, you know, add additional, uh, you know, additional weapons. And, and right now this, this team is in, is in desperate need of it, you know, despite the fact that you've got guys that can potentially be 25, 30, 40 goal scorers, but to be able to spread it out a little bit, you know, among, among the first and second line, you know, is, is key, especially if, if you've got the fourth line that you have now, you're going to need, you need to have scoring within your, your, your top nine. There's no question about that. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Don't forget, if you want to keep up with all things Islanders, watch some old games, MSG Plus, running them every night, and you can watch some games from this season. YouTube and the NHL Network and the NHL website have other uh, older Islander games available for you to watch or highlights. And hey, folks, if you know of a good place to watch or listen to old Islander games, feel free, drop us a line, an email, a, a tweet, and let our listeners know where to find them. Always good to have Islander fans helping other Islander fans. That's going to do it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll have This Date in Islanders History, part three of my conversation with Gary Harding of WGBB Radio, and, of course, the latest news and notes from around the NHL and from the Islanders. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL, for a national perspective on what's happening around the National Hockey League. Have a great day, everybody. I'm your host, Gil Martin. See you tomorrow, and let's go Islanders!